Section 9 of The Jim Crow Car, or Denouncement of Injustice Meted Out to the Black Race, by Rev. John Clay Coleman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5. The Jim Crow Car. The titles, Porters, Baggage Men, Coleman on the GP, 1892, Mississippi Delta. Thus far, we have seen that maltreatment, deception in court, murdering, etc., are associated with the Jim Crow car, for the title itself means fraud, and all debauchery and injustice meted out to the colored race are material in the Jim Crow car. If we are to see the state of things as they are in various parts of the world, we are generally conveyed by the train, as a preference when it is serviceable. In countries where there is no RR locomotives, the stages of higher civilization have not yet been reached. The first thing, therefore, right or wrong, coming under our notice by the way, is on the front. The car in which the colored people are forced to ride is not marked Jim Crow car. Most every RR line has a different mark. As a rule, colored just over the entrance, is marked on the cars designed for the colored people on the majority of roads. Other marks are, for colored people, for Africans, LR and MRR, Negroes, etc. Regular colored passengers are so well acquainted with the style and inferiority of their car, it is hardly necessary to read the sign. Carthage, Mississippi is the county seat of Leake County, and 31 miles from the railroad lines. Many of its inhabitants have never seen a train. Nevertheless, most of the colored citizens have heard that the train is a pretty thing, but the colored folks must pay as much to ride as white passengers and yet occupy an awful Jim Crow car. Two colored men, having decided to go off, came to Goodman to take the train. When the train arrived that they desired, the smoke prevented them from seeing the colored car near the engine. The colored passengers stood quite a distance from the site, refusing to board it, from the very reason that they feared the smoke. They admired the cars for white passengers. Although they had purchased their tickets, they decided to wait for the colored car to come along. After the train made its departure from the station, the two passengers went in hiding, being afraid that they would be arrested for not going up to the engine to get the car. Shortly, a freight run in, and the two passengers fully concluded that must be that Jim Crow car for the colored folks that we have heard so much talk about. With this idea, they aimed to board it when they were considered intruders and were driven back to their homes. Porters. The porters on the passenger trains are chiefly colored men. Their politeness to passengers and distinct voices in calling stations render their appropriateness for the position. They assist in handling baggage, but they are very rarely allowed to assist colored ladies on and off the train. They must get off possibly with babies in their arms and valises. The porter is allowed to help white ladies off by taking the packages and valises to the platform of the depot, the brakeman and conductor being too aristocratic to do such, like most Southerners are. Baggage men. There are white and colored employees in large baggage rooms. 
The bulk of the white baggage men abhor the idea of carrying a colored person's baggage to the baggage car, although it is checked. They sometimes order our intelligent colored gentleman to convey his own baggage to the train, especially if he looks like a drummer or traveling salesman. A young man traveling for a colored building and loan firm was shot and killed at a little town south of Jackson, Mississippi, by a baggage man who failed to compel him to carry his own baggage. The same style of marking on the door of railway cars for colored people is on the doors of waiting rooms. Colored department porters are employed to see that the black people go to their room, but is not allowed to resist white people putting packages and tying their dogs in the colored room. White convicts are held in the colored waiting rooms. Coleman on the GP Concluding my southern tour in 1892, I left Birmingham, Alabama, November 1st, 1892, bound for Durant, Mississippi. A large number of passengers were on board when we arrived at Colesburg, a little town situated in the coal regions of Alabama, about 15 miles from Birmingham. The depot agent, having flagged the train, ran to the conductor, exclaiming, You can't go under two hours! Why can't I? asked the conductor. Why that eastbound local have jumped the track! A vast convict farm is under cultivation by colored convicts at Colesburg. To see men and women tied together and working under bullwhips was a delightful scene to the white passengers, both men and women. The farm is about 60 yards from the depot. All sorts and conditions of humanity can be seen. Strange it may seem to true man and womanhood, the fact remains that the brutalized state of the colored men and women is the pride of the southern white element. The passengers stand with pleasure, viewing the convicts as they are lashed and forced to do excessive work. A man who had been on the farm two years, charged with stealing a pair of boots, attempts to escape when four white men on mules and a train of hounds pursue him. An old ex-slaveholder, standing in an attitude to take fine view of the proceedings, smilingly said, That looks like old times. Convicts are treated more cruel than the slaves were during American slavery. In fact, the convict lease system is a method of revenge. There are some ex-slaveholders who think that the nigger should be paid for fighting against the South for freedom, and now making it felt and known that they are a main factor in the Commonwealth. The convict farms have grown numerous in the southern states as a means of binding the Negro down to white masters. Ned Richardson may justly bear the blame of causing more immorality and disgrace upon the colored race in his dominion than the slave trade in Africa today. The convict lease system is a satanic giant leading to degradation and ruin thousands of young men and women whom, if they had privilege of a house of correction, would accomplish many good deeds for their country and Christ and the church. When Mr. D. L. Moody preached at Massey Music Hall, Wednesday, October 13, 1897, at 3 p.m., he elicited about 5,000 people. 
before beginning his sermon he made some interesting statements concerning the great work which he had done in his efforts to supply the jails in the united states with reading matter to be put in the hands of the prisoners concluding he asked his audience to contribute five hundred dollars to the same scheme in canada during his fervent and explicit remarks the lamentable thought of the convict lease system presented itself to me though recognizing the work done by the speaker in the united states as a source of spiritual help to the colored prisoners as well as the white ones i am convinced that such influential ambassadors of god as mr moody and mr jones could abate the intense evil in the promoters of working convicts in a worse way than any farmer would dare to work his horses in the north and in many parts of the south at the close of mr moody's service i was profoundly touched with the idea of asking the evangelist to protest against southern heathenism when the rush to shake hands with the speaker had ceased i could not refrain from simply asking mr moody to preach against the convict lease system when he returned south the democratic party in the state of alabama during the state election in 1892 made the convict lease system a plank in their platform declaring that the diabolical system would be annihilated if the party gained the election a political course in the pursuit of destroying such an influence and extensive evil will not do the amount of durable good as will the true christian principles thoroughly stamped in the hearts of the upholders of such an inhuman system one political party may abolish it and another reinstate it it is necessary therefore that the way of convincing the heathen abroad be given to erroneous and barbaric tendencies everywhere about nine-tenths of the convicts in the united states are colored when i visited fletz's farm about three miles south of winona mississippi in 1891 there were no whites the convicts are not only leased to work on farms but to railway contractors and mining companies etc the states tolerating the convict lease system receive a revenue kidnapped rock diggers another incident noticeable on my journey to durant november 1st 92 is the fact that in the mountainous regions lying on both sides of the georgia pacific road is rock suitable for railway bridges etc after receiving orders to leave colesburg the conductor gave the ordinary notice all aboard I need not mention the various expressions of joy to be leaving a place of sorrow and woe. We had not gone more than forty miles when a company of colored men, directed by a white man, boarded our train. The porter immediately gave the information that trouble was awaiting the colored company, of which they were not aware. Just about thirty-five miles down the road is a path leading out to a rock den, they will have to go about 18 miles back in the woods to find it. There they will be worked. Some of them will be worked to death without a cent of pay, said the porter. When they arrived at their destination, the ghostly thicket at once attracted my attention. Like dumb, driven cattle, the men, with unbalanced luggage, overstepped the rugged mountain, some of whom will never return. The Georgia Pacific Railroad is systematized strictly on Southern principles. 
having roughly split bottom seats on the colored car. While at the Union Station in Birmingham, Alabama, en route for Atlanta, Georgia, we beheld such a pitiful condition of three colored ladies. Those who have not in any way come in contact with such a state of human life as seen in this car can only marvel at our story and question whether such moral character exists amid such a tremendous flow of offensiveness and pragmatical elements. In the car with the three colored ladies were five convicts chained down to their seats in a most ghastly condition and 15 white men. The ladies were compelled to hoist the windows in hope of shirking the profane language and intense heat and smoke from fifteen cigars. The ladies were evidently professional ladies and of no mean ability and character, but their high attainments were depreciated, being told abruptly, Go in that car there. That's the nigger car. Many ministers and other representative colored men are smokers per force. They must ride in cars with the lowest smoking classes, but when the smokers are through, retire to the white car. Many persons who would never smoke are forced to smoke to protect their system during their ride in a car filled with deathly odor. Mississippi Delta The real state of affairs in the Mississippi Delta, or bottoms, are unknown to those who have not traveled the plantations and rivers, viewing the situation of the people as they are. Indeed, many parts of that turbid valley are inhabited by a people whose object is to humiliate the farmer, as did the slaveholder in his time. Newspapers and other mediums of spreading the happenings abroad are not used. This dismal section of country lies about 50 miles west of the Illinois Central Railroad, separated from Arkansas by the Mississippi River. There are two other smaller rivers, viz. Yazoo and Tallahatchie. On the banks of these rivers are colored immigrants from many southern states, with the hope of bettering their condition. Soon after slavery, many men, women, and children exiled to the Mississippi Delta, the employers to curtail railroad expenses put the emigrants in freight boxcars after getting them a distance from their homes. Their present condition is grievous and miserable, some plantations having as many as 500 employees and a white family. The agents are what the overseer has once been. The general environments are such that even 500 persons must stoop to the command of four or five men. Some laborers have not had a payment for their work. They are furnished with pickled pork and cornbread for food, but few of them are allowed to have money. Wooden checks from five cents and upward are paid to those who pay to the church. In this case, the checks are only good at the plantation store. That which 25 cents could profitably buy in the Dominion of Canada or the Northern States costs one dollar at the plantation store. Cotton is the chief product, and owing to the unfavorable atmosphere, the colored people are told that whiskey must be used to prevent sickness. In this way, many unfortunate persons are misled to the degraded habit of drinking excessively. East Mississippi is usually called the hills by the inhabitants of the swamp. 
when anyone succeeds in making good his or her escape, it is by the underground railroads, or a similar channel to that of the abolitionists, in securing colored men and women into Canada in the days of slavery. Mr. Mark Coleman, brother of the author of these facts, has been, and is to this day, operating the underground railway line on the Yazoo River. His beginning of this movement was attended with many experiences, which attended the rugged way of the beloved white men and women who sympathized for the black man to the extent of devising a road on which he could reach the safe shores of Canada. An investigation of the oppressed people in the Mississippi Delta is necessary and is solicited. The high water of 1897 revealed a part of the destitute cases near the rivers and railroads, but wild woods and a host of other obscure islands have never been heard from. The ways of right cannot be properly diffused among the people of color in the Mississippi bottoms. The word of the Lord should have free course. Any instruction leading up to higher morality and Christianity is impeded. The Arkansas side of the valley is chiefly barren, especially that being parallel with the Little Rock and Memphis Railroad. The labor record of the Negro has grown ever since the landing of 20 at Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. He has made America what it is. For this reason, the colored people of many southern states have been solicited to settle in this vast, watery territory along the LR and MRR. In view of the hardships which befell those in Mississippi Delta, the Negro refuses the offer. The refusal of the Negro to occupy the Arkansas desert is looked upon by his enemies as being slothful. But this view of the Negro is commonly taken when he is shrewd enough to shirk danger. The Oklahoma movement in 1892 was upheld by the colored Southerners with a hope of reaching a home where equal rights would be imparted to all. Since their settlement in Oklahoma, they have fallen victims to the mob and rope bands of white men, who have made it a famous event to enter the homes of the black men and overpower them with war arms and commit rape on their wives and daughters. Bishop Turner, in defense of his race, gave advice that they should protect themselves. This advice was given in the Voice of Missions, missionary organ of the AME Church. Numerous northern newspapers endeavored to put the entire South against the godly bishop for attempting to protect the ladies of his race from being destroyed by night mobs. The bishop's idea of family protection in many unfriendly localities is commendable. The Indians in the Oklahoma regions and elsewhere have always protected their families. Twenty-five white citizens of Oklahoma were killed by Indians in January 1898 by way of race protection. End of section 9.